0: Welcome to Grace this morning. We are glad that you are here. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the women's ministry director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And this morning we're going to be continuing on in our study of the book of Joshua with Joshua chapters 8 and 9. At this point in our study, the uh, children of Israel have entered into the promised land and the promised land has its challenges. And we're going to see that today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each person that's here this morning. Lord, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you for Joshua, for his example to us. Lord, even in his failures, we can learn. And uh, we thank you for, for including all of that, uh, that, that, your, that your faithful servants are also imperfect people just like us. And I thank you for that example, Lord. I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear your word this morning, Lord, that you will speak through me uh, and that we will leave here different, better than we were when we came in. Help us to set aside all the troubles of the morning, all the troubles of the week, Lord, and to just focus on you and your word this morning. We love you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Israelites have come into the promised land. God has told them that he wants them to occupy the promised land or just take it over. The problem is the promised land is already occupied by people who do not follow God, people who do not want to follow God, people who follow other gods, and they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave, and that is uh, almost symbolic of our Christian lives. When we surrender our lives to Christ, when we turn our lives over to him and he starts to occupy us, he starts to occupy our hearts and our minds. There are things that don't want to leave. Our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups don't want to leave. They want to stay with us. They want to infiltrate our lives and influence our lives. And it can be difficult because as we draw closer to God and we try to eliminate those things from our lives, there are battles. And some of those battles are easy and some of those battles are not so easy. Some of those battles are are just downright difficult. And we're going to see here in Joshua 8 that when you lose a battle, when you lose a battle to temptation, when you lose a battle to whatever type of failure in life, you have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and develop a new plan. A new plan. We've seen in the past few weeks that the Israelites had a, a great victory at the Battle of Jericho, and then they had a great defeat at the Battle of Ai. Because there was, they didn't consult with God, and there was sin in the land. But that's what's so great about Joshua 8. Because here in Joshua 8, we're going to see, this is just proof right here, that God does not hold grudges. God does not hold grudges. He didn't for the Israelites, and he doesn't for you. No matter what his people did, no matter what they will do, no matter what they've done, he's still their God, he still has a plan for them, and he still loves them. Just like us, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, God loves you, he has a plan for you, and you are still his child. You may have done something so wrong, so bad, that you feel that you're not worthy of his love. But those are your thoughts. Those are not God's thoughts. God loves you unconditionally. So the Israelites, they didn't seek God's guidance first at the battle of Ai. There was sin among the people. And God does not allow sin to go unchecked. And that's not because he gets mad at us. It's not because he holds a grudge. It's because he loves us so much. He loves us too much to leave us in our sin as if it's okay. So there was sin among the people. They failed in their attempt against AI. And I love what Henry Ford, this Henry Ford quote uh, about failure. says, failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently I love that I love that because we all make mistakes in life it's not about how many mistakes that you make it's about what you do with those mistakes it's about learning from them and moving forward and Joshua just came from a big failure a big failure at AI and sometimes after a big failure we just feel like giving up we just want to quit and sometimes it, it paralyzes us we just get paralyzed And we can't move forward. The devil would love that. But God says that we have to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. And it becomes even harder when our failures affect other people. You know, in that last battle, they lost 36 men. 36 men died. And that doesn't seem like very many for a battle like this, but that's 36 wives that lost their husbands, that's 36 families. That were affected. That was 36 of Joshua's friends, of his soldiers, that he knew. But we see here in verse 1 of chapter 8 that even though the Israelites are coming out of this big failure, God is still encouraging them. He says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now, let's just stop right there for a minute because experience would tell us that that's not true. You know, in chapter 7, they got beat. They had to run for their lives. They lost 36 men. Experience would tell Joshua that that is not the case. But God says in verse 2, You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say they are running from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. So God has given these direct orders to Joshua, and Joshua is to give it to his men. So he goes to his men, and he says, okay... Here's the plan. You're going to hide over here. And then me and these other guys, we're going to go and we're going to act like we're attacking AI like we did last time. And when they come out at us, we're going to run from them like we're scared. And when they chase after us and they all leave the city, you set the city on fire. It's a good plan, right? It's a good plan. Except if I'm Joshua and I'm actually participating in this plan, and I'm one of the people that has to run, I'd be like, hey, God, remember Jericho? We just marched around the city and the walls just fell down. That was a good plan. (laughs) I like that plan. Let's do that plan. Let's do that one again. But the thing is, that God's plan for the battle that you're facing today may be different than his plan for the battle you faced yesterday or the battle that you face tomorrow. Because he's not predictable. He's the God of variety. He's not predictable. He changes it up. And that's a good thing. Because if he didn't, if, if, if all the battles were the same, then we wouldn't feel like we needed him. We would just be like, oh, okay, been there, done that. I know how to do this one. I, I can handle this. I don't even need to talk to God about this. Yeah, and we wouldn't depend on him. And he wants us to be in constant communication with him. He wants us to be looking to him for the answers and talking about, about these things with him. And that's what Joshua is learning as a leader. Sometimes the hard way. But that's what he's learning and that's what we're learning as we watch Joshua lead. So we're learning that we have a part to play. God does his part and we do our part. We do have a part to play. You know, I'm always leery of people who, who believe that faith is just, is just believing and not acting or not doing anything. You know, it's like somebody that they really need money. They need a job. And they pray for God to give them a job. And then they just sit and wait. And they say, you know, if, if God has a job for me, they'll call. No, <laughs> they won't call. <laughs> You need to go fill out an application. You gotta go make it your job to get a job. You know, hey, don't just sit on the couch and wait for God to give somebody your phone number. <laughs> That's not how it works. You have a part to play. It's, it's very difficult to, to steer a parked car. You gotta get moving. You gotta get get moving in this. It's like the guy that, it's like the guy that, that prayed to win the lottery. And God's like, you gotta buy a ticket. <laughs> Not that God approves of the lottery or doesn't approve of the lottery. It's not about the lottery. (laughs) It's about doing your part. Don't just pray. Act. Act on what God says. You know, it's like that game uh, Simon Says. I think we've all probably played Simon Says. I'm not very good at it. Maybe you are. But, of course, there's a caller, and the caller is Simon. And when Simon says to do something, you do it. And if Simon doesn't say, then you don't do it. So if Simon says, raise your right hand, you raise your right hand. Not your left hand, your right hand. And then if he says, put your right hand down, you don't, right? Because Simon didn't say. It's all about following the leader. It's all about doing what the leader says. And, you know, life can be broken down to that that simple principle. Follow the leader. If God says, then you do it. If God doesn't say, then you don't do it. You know, it's very simple. The Christian life, is, is, it, it can be difficult, but it's really not complicated. You know, we do what God says. Did God say? The problem is that we, we live in a culture that almost idolizes disobedience. It's not just that every man is doing what, right, what is right in his own eyes. It's that we also applaud that. It's as if rebellion is cool. But the fact is that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Better to do it now than later. Because here's, here's the main lesson that I want you to get from this message today. If you don't get anything else from this message today, I want you to get this. Because over and over in the Bible, it tells us God has a plan. Over and over throughout the whole Bible, we see the same plan over and over again. God directs, we follow, he blesses. That's a plan. Every time. That's plan. Works every time. 100% of the time. Don't stray from the plan. You know, if, if God directs and we don't follow, then he doesn't bless. Right? If someone else directs and we follow, he doesn't bless. Or if we direct ourselves... He doesn't bless. God directs, we follow, he blesses. That order every time. That's the plan. All three steps must be followed. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it doesn't make sense. It's like Abraham. He told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then later he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise, and I want you to kill him. But it makes sense. But Abraham followed. It's like the widow of Zarephath. Widow of Zarephath, I know, you and your son, you're on your last last bit of food. This is the end of your food. I want you to take all of that food and give it to the prophet, to the man of God. I want you to give all your food to him. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's what I want you to do. And she did it. And she never ran out of food again. Her jar never went dry. Follow him, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, you would go to a financial advisor, and they would tell you to take 10% of your income and put it in savings or invest it in the stock market. But they would never tell you to give it to the church, to give it to the Lord. They would never tell you that because it doesn't make worldly sense. It doesn't. But the Lord wants to know, will you follow him? Will you trust him with your finances? And I found out a long time ago, I would rather trust him and have 90% of my income that's blessed than 100% that's not. He wants us to follow him to a T, to do exactly what he says. God directs, we follow, he blesses. And that's exactly what Joshua and his men did this time. They, they looked to God for direction, and they followed his direction. So it, it says in those next few verses, it talks about that they, they sprung into action, okay? They went, and they, they, the guys that were supposed to hide went into hiding. Joshua and his men, they went up on Ai like they were going to attack from the north. And the people of Ai came out chasing them. They're like, na 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 boo boo you can't catch me. And they run. <laughs> and the guys of Ai They chase after them, and they all leave, and in verse 16, it says, All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city." it says that they did this, and that when the men of Ai looked back and saw that their city was burning, they saw the smoke, that their city was burning, and then the guys who were running from them turned around and attacked them. And the guys who were back here in the ambush, they came out, and they attacked them. So Ai was attacked from both sides. They were all killed. They all went down in that battle except for the king. He was the only one left alive, and that was their plan. Because they impaled him on a pole. They took a big, sharp sharp spear and impaled him on a pole and hung him up for everyone to see until morning. And it says in verse 24: When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because there was a very, familiar, a very similar situation that happened back in Exodus 17 when Moses was the leader and Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. And if you remember, Moses held up his staff while Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. And as long as he held up his staff then the Israelites were winning. But when his arms would get tired and his arms would start to fall down, the Amalekites would start winning. So Aaron and Hur went and held Moses' arms up. And that's how Joshua won the battle against the Amalekites. And I'm sure that in this moment, Joshua was remembering his leader. And he was remembering that situation. But see, this time Joshua and the Israelites, they they consulted with God. He gave them a plan. They followed the plan. And it worked. He blessed them. He changed AI, their place of defeat, into their place of victory. And that's important to us because he can do that for us too. He can change your AI, your place of defeat, your place your, of greatest failure, your place of greatest temptation. He can turn that into your greatest testimony, into your greatest victory, if you will let him. He goes on to say that after this great victory, Joshua went up on Mount Ebal and he built an altar to the Lord there and made sacrifices there. It was an altar that was made out of uncut stone so that no tools were used so that when they made these sacrifices, it was all about the Lord. It was all about the sacrifice and was not about how beautiful the altar was or how, what a great craftsman that Joshua was. It was all about the Lord. It says that on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on a stone, on stones, a copy of the law of Moses. So he wrote on stones, by hand, the law of Moses. Traditionally, a Jewish boy by the age of six would start attending synagogue. And by the age of ten, they would have the entire Torah memorized. That the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they would have memorized. That is overwhelming to me that a 10-year-old, that a, a 47-year-old, anybody could do that. I just hold my age up here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> but he would, Joshua would have had this memorized, and he would have been writing this on the stones from memory. They didn't have Bibles back then, and so they memorized Verse 33, all the Israelites and their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Now those instructions were given back in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. But if we could put that photo up, This is a a photo of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. We have Mount Gerizim over here, Mount Ebal over here, and we have Shechem in the middle. And this is where all the people would have been. And Joshua, this would have formed almost like a a, like a natural amphitheater. So Joshua, Joshua could be talking, and all the people, whether they were on Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal or down in Shechem, they could all hear him. Okay, so it's like God was like, hey, you know, Joshua, since I have this message that I want you to give to all these people, and there are so many of them, and microphones haven't been invented yet. So I want you to go to this natural amphitheater that I have created so that everyone will be able to hear you. I just just think God's just so amazing like that. He just thinks of everything. Verse 34. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. He read the whole thing. He didn't skip a word. He didn't, he didn't sugarcoat it for the, the, the lukewarm Christians. He didn't tiptoe around it for the foreigners amongst them. He didn't skip the hard parts. For the children that were sitting there. No, he he read every word. Every word, because every word has value. That's what we learn from Joshua. That's what we learn from the forefathers of our faith, and that's what we follow here at grace. You know, a couple of years ago we started in the book of Genesis, and we have gone chapter by chapter, all the way up until now we're in Joshua. We didn't skip the hard parts. Okay, if you've been around here very long, you you've seen us blush a time or two on some of the topics we've talked about. You may have blushed yourself on some of the topics that we talked about. But we don't skip anything, and we don't give all of the hard stuff to Pastor Dennis either. Some of it, but not all of it. But because we do, we 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 break down the chapters, we assign who's speaking on those Sundays. And if that topic falls on your Sunday, that topic falls on your Sunday. You know, good luck to you. <laughs> That's, yours. That's all you, you. know, Because Pastor Dennis, he mentors us. He teaches us. And he says if you're going to teach the Word of God, you're going to teach the Word of God. All of it. Be ready to teach all of it. Because every word has value. So we don't pick and choose. That being said, let's move on to chapter 9. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. Now, a lot of these nations had been fighting against each other. But now they've heard about Israel. And they've heard about their battle at Jericho and Ai, and they figure they're coming for us. And the only way to win is if we join forces to fight against Israel. And so they're all joining forces together. Verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So the Gibeonites decided to go out on their own and try to make a treaty with these people, to try to make peace with these people. In reality, they had only traveled about 15 or 20 miles. So they made it look like they had traveled from a very distant country. But it was 15 or 20 miles. Many of you have traveled further than that to get to church this morning. So some of you, ha, raise your hand if you have traveled more than 15 miles to get to church this morning. Now, we, have, we have several people, there were several people in the first service from Pogville. We've got people from Clark Range driving further than this to get to church. But they made it seem like they were coming from a distant country. Verse 7, the Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you, and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, and who reigned in Ashtaroth. So those were kings on the other side of the Jordan. So notice that they didn't mention the Battle of Jericho or the Battle of Ai because those had been too recent. And so if they had come from a long, a long way away, then they wouldn't have had time to hear about those things. You know, they don't have Internet or TV, so they wouldn't have had time to hear about those things. So they're talking about the battles that happened before they crossed the Jordan because they don't want to give themselves away. Verse 11. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with it. This is my innocent voice. <laughs> my husband knows that, but maybe you don't. That's my innocent voice. And then you back your lie. <clears throat> Verse 12. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now we see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Liars. Liars! But look at verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. That's an important verse. Because it tells it all right here. They sampled their provisions. They observed the situation for themselves. But they did not inquire of the Lord. They did not stop to pray about it. The Bible tells us in Proverbs. To trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. If we don't pray. We're doing the exact opposite of that. We're leaning all on our own understanding. And not on God at all when we assess the situation and make a decision based on our own limited knowledge based on our own experience based on what we can see and hear and taste and smell rather than consulting God who sees everything who knows the beginning from the end who was listening to the Gibeonites conversations as they were making this plan When we do that, we're setting ourselves up for failure, right? Because he knows everything, but they didn't ask him. They didn't consult him. You know, if you think about it, because when we read that, we think, geez, they should have known better, right? But what decisions are you making right now? What choices are you making right now? Are you facing right now that you've not consulted God about? Because God wants to be part of the decision-making process right from the beginning. He doesn't want us to, to make our own decisions and move forward with our own plan and then ask Him to bless it. That's what we often do. We're trying to get God on board with our plan. No, we need to be praying We need to be praying and getting on board with his plan. Because his plan is better. Because he knows everything. The beginning from the end. Yet we rush ahead and we make our own decisions. With our own limited knowledge. Rather than going to God. It's like, why do we do that? I think it's because we don't think God's going to answer us. Because if we could just text God our questions and he would just text us right back with the answers, we'd go to him every time, right? We'd ask him every time, but we don't want to wait. We don't wanna wait. It's like, Jim, if I called you up and I had this big decision and I was like, hey Jim, I need you to give me some advice on something. You're pretty good with money. I need you to, to, to help me make this decision. See, I want a new car. I need, I need a new car. And I found the exact car that I want. It has all the bells and whistles. It has everything that I want. It's even the right color. And it's only $40,000. $40,000, Jim. I know that's a lot of money. I know it's expensive, but I've done the numbers, and I figured it out, and I'm pretty sure I can swing the payment. All right, so what do you think I should do, Jim? Okay, thanks, bye. And I go... And I buy my new car, and a couple of months go by, and I can't make my payment, Jim. Why didn't you stop me, Jim? Why didn't you tell me not to do that? See, that's what we do with God. We either don't pray at all, or we do pray, and we don't wait for His answers. and then when things go wrong, we, oh God. God, where are you? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you help me? Pay attention to me, God. But we're not going to him. We're not talking to him. Because see, those answers, they come in those quiet times. When we take time to pray and to listen. And sometimes they don't come immediately sometimes we still have to wait on them but it's in those moments that that still small voice speaks to your heart and speaks to your mind and you have ideas and thoughts that are not your own and you begin to have peace about the decisions that you're making that's when his answers come and I know what you're thinking because I think it sometimes myself too I don't have time for all that like I need an answer. I don't have time for all that. But can I tell you that you don't have time to not do that. You don't have time to not go to God. You don't have time to waste on going in the wrong direction. We get in such a hurry and we don't pray and we rely on ourselves and we move forward with our own wisdom. And that's what Joshua did. He didn't seek God again. And he rushed ahead with his own wisdom. And in verse 15, it says, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So three days, the truth comes out. So the Israelites set out on the third day to come to their cities, Gibeon, Kephra, Beeroth, and kiriath Jerem. And the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath that we swore to them. So they made an oath. They made a mistake. They made an oath in the name of the Lord, and they regretted it but they had made an oath. And they recognized that they couldn't just break that oath because they had made a mistake, because breaking an oath is wrong too, and two wrongs don't make a right. And they were, they were right in keeping this oath because the Lord would have punished them for breaking this oath because we see over in 2 Samuel 21, when Saul was king, that he killed some of the Gibeonites. And then a famine came on the land for three years. And then later when David became king, David went to God and he was like, God, what is going on? You know, why, why, are, why do we have this famine? What is going on? And it was revealed to him that it was because Saul had broken this covenant, this oath with the Gibeonites. Because your word is important. God hears every word from your mouth. You know, sometimes we say, we the saying of, of of from your mouth to God's ears. You know, and that's things good things we want the Lord to hear Or good things that we want the Lord to hear us ask of. But He hears every word that comes out of our mouths. He hears every promise that we make, and He expects our word to be good. Jesus in the New Testament tells us that we don't even we, we don't need to be making oaths. We don't need to be swearing by anything. We don't need to be swearing by God. We don't need to be swearing by anything because we shouldn't need to. So our yes should mean yes and our no should mean no. Our word should be good enough. My, my daddy used to tell me, if you tell somebody something, they should be able to bank on it. They bank on it. If you say you're going to be there, you be there. If you say you're going to do that, you do that. Your word is important. Your word is important. Verse 21. They continued, let them live but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So God took the mistake that the elders had made, and he redeemed that mistake. And he's like, well, you know, you made this oath. You didn't discuss it with me, you didn't talk to me about it, but I'm going I'm to redeem this oath. Uh, these people will live among you, and they will be your servants. And the Gibeonites, they were actually happy about this. You know, they lived peacefully among the Israelites for years. We can see over in the book of Ezra that even after 70 years in Babylon, in exile, the, the Gibeonites were still living with the Israelite people. And I have to be honest, I kind of like the Gibeonites. I kind of respect them a little bit because they knew what they were up against. They recognized that the Israelites' God was the one true God. They recognized that they were on the wrong team. And so deceptively, but they, they surrendered and they figured out how, how to, to get on the right team. It's like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 84.10. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I think that was the, kind of the attitude of the giving They're like, make us your servants. And... The Lord had mercy on them. And see, I love this because he had mercy on the Gibeonites and he redeemed the Israelites. And so many times we, we make mistakes and, and the devil whispers in our ear, well, you've gone too far now. You might as well just give up, just throw in the towel. You're done. They'll never forgive you for that. You never come back from that. The devil whispers that in our ear. And those words have been the falling of many marriages, of many relationships, of many careers. But the God that you and I serve, He can take the mistakes that we make and He can redeem them and He can bring good out of them if we let Him. If we let Him. But we have to learn to distinguish between the voice of our god and the voice of satan the voice of our enemy you know when those thoughts come to your mind you have to question them is that god or is that my enemy when you hear that you know your marriage is over that's it there's no more is that god or is that the enemy when you hear that you're not good enough You'll never be good enough. You might as well just quit. Is that God or is that your enemy? Just that that one simple question can make all the difference. I made a list. You should too. I made a list of all the lies that the enemy whispers in my ear all the time. Just little lies. You're not good enough. You're a terrible mother. Your husband could do so much better. He doesn't even want you anymore. You don't deserve to stand on that stage. You're not worthy of that. You're not worthy to speak to those people at that church. You're not worthy to be the women's ministry director. No one wants to hear what you have to say. You're a joke. He whispers these things in my ear all the time. Every time I screw up, which is a lot. (laughs) So all the time, he's whispering these things in my ear. Is that my God or is that my enemy? It's my enemy. And you know how much time I should give to the words of my enemy? Zero. Zero. Because he's a liar. He is a liar. The, The Bible says that he prowls around looking for someone to devour. You know who he wants to devour? Us. Us, you and me People who are trying to live for God People who could bring others to God He wants to devour us He wants to tear us down And we have to pick ourselves up And dust ourselves off And fight back With God That's the only way to win the battle Is with God We have to stand up to Him say you are a liar you are a liar because my god my god says i am fearfully and wonderfully made my god has a plan for me my god says that i am worthy because he made me worthy through the blood of his son jesus christ my god says i am a child of god and you Are a child of God. And he who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for you, who can be against you? You are a child of God. And as a child of God, I want to leave you with one final thought, one final question. What is your AI? What is your AI? What is the place of your biggest failure? What is the place of your biggest defeat, your biggest temptation? Where do you need a second chance? Because we all need a second chance sometimes. Where do you need a second chance to be faithful, to be trustworthy, to be honest? to be kind, to be all the things that God created you to be, where do you need a second chance? Pick yourself up and dust yourself off and join the new plan where He directs and you follow and He blesses every time, every time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the example of Joshua in your word. I thank you, uh, Lord, that you're speaking to our hearts this morning. where I I pray that, that you will transform our mistakes, that you will use them for your glory. Lord, that if there's anyone sitting here this morning that does not feel worthy, Lord, that you will just draw near to them. That they will feel your presence like never before. Amen, amen. That you will empower them to dust themselves off and start again. God, if there's anyone here this morning that's not accepted you as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray that they would surrender themselves to you. And they would begin that journey with you. Lord, thank you that we are your children. That you are our God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.